Welcome to the Mission Mill Spouse Podcast, dedicated to the stories, struggles, and triumphs of military spouses around the world. Join us as we dive into the unique experiences, challenges, and resilience of those who serve on the home front. Get ready to be inspired, informed, and connected. From deployments to PCS moves, we've got your six. So buckle up, grab your coffee, and let's tackle this mission together. This is Mission Mill Spouse. Welcome Mission Mill Spouse podcast listeners. I'm Caitlin, your partner relations coordinator here at Mission Mill Spouse, and I'm excited to bring you today's episode, number 1028, full of information and resources to empower and enlighten you. Our guest today is Kayla Corbett, the founder of the Operation Child Care Project. Kayla is a military spouse and mother who has a passion to overcome the challenges military families face every day regarding childcare. Welcome to the Mission Mill Spouse podcast, Kayla. Thank you so much, Caitlin. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. We're so excited you're here. If you would go ahead and tell us just a little bit about yourself and your military spouse journey and kind of what got you here. Absolutely. So um, I'm Kayla Corbett. My, my spouse is Army. And when I first met him, I was finishing up graduate school in uh, Northern Virginia, and he was working at the hospital. And when I say that I had no idea what I was getting myself into, I truly mean it. You know, he left for work after I did. He got back from work before I did. Um, and so I, having never been around military, <clears throat> was very much, I don't know what the big deal is about the entire situation. And it, it, it was just that duty station, that time in his life. So after we did get married and and then we moved to our first duty station, um, Italy, uh, I realized pretty quickly that everything that I had set up is going to take a, a drastic, drastic change. And a fun fact is that I actually started this work before I had children. It's a very much a mission, I guess. It fits very nicely with Mission Mill Spouse, where I was in Italy where I joke is where careers go to die for military spouses. I had nothing else that I could do at the time. And I was really good at red tape and understanding parameters. And so I just started building solutions there, advocating, made it my mission to, to kind of solve what this issue was. And as time went on, I realized it's just so much bigger than just understanding the regulations. And, and that's what, you know, kind of led us to where we are today. That is amazing that you have found that calling for an area that is a huge need for military families. Thank you so much for sharing that little bit of background about you. Let's dive right into our key topics for today. And that is your nonprofit, the Operation Child Care Project. If you would share a little bit about your mission and what you guys do. Absolutely. So the Operation Child Care Project, it's the first nonprofit dedicated exclusively to child care access and equity. What I found over the years is that a lot of nonprofits, a lot of, you know, military service organizations, federal service organizations, or veteran service organizations, uh, they add child care into a piece of what they do. And that's because child care touches everything. So you can't really say, you know, you're working in food food insecurity, or you're working in housing, or you're working in, you know, spouse unemployment without touching on childcare. But the reality of it 
the situation is, is that childcare is so monumental. It can't just be a piece of something that's done. It needs to be one entire push that then the trickle down effects. So the, the, the issues that these other organizations are tackling can then benefit from. So what we do at the Operation Childcare Project is we work on equitable, affordable childcare access for military and veteran families. We do include DOD civilians in that. Uh, essentially, if you've ever served the mission, then you can access our services. Um, we do case management. That is the bulk of what we're doing right now. So families who have either you know applied for childcare assistance and then they're just pending for six eight, 12 months to two years, um, they can reach out to us and we can help them get pushed through that process. If they're really not sure what they qualify for or it doesn't fit what their needs are, which we see just so much of uh, because military spouses, you know, they have to work part time. They have to do their own businesses. They need ad hoc care. They need non-traditional overnight, whatever it might be. Uh, we help them navigate that. So we help them figure out not just what are your DOD oriented uh, options, but what are your civilian ones as well? And we do that by staying involved in our hyper, I say hyper local community. So we join the early childcare coalitions. We connect with the people who are already doing the work on the civilian side so that we can bridge that gap for those families. That is absolutely amazing because as military families, we move all the time. An organization that has the knowledge and has done all that research that can provide you that information is just a really great resource to have. Another aspect that we track in this, and I, and I want to bring it up because you mentioned that the traveling from state to state is that this is exhausting. This is exhausting for families. This is frustrating for families. And it's predominantly in, in the past been considered a spouse's issue right? It's something that the spouse needs to take on. It's something the spouse needs to solve. Because if you are, you know, a single service member, or if you are dual military, you're more likely to access the on-base care. You're more likely, you're, you have a higher priority. So you're more likely to get access to some care, not saying that it fits your needs or that it will, it will, it will solve everything. It's just, you're just more likely to be able to access some of these programs. There is a cost to, this childcare search and access. And it, we talk about it cost being financial. It is expensive. It is, it is more than college tuition in most states. Um, it is getting progressively more expensive as time goes on, but there are other costs to it. And that is something that we track in our case management system. And what we're seeing most frequently is that the cost is unemployment. So the spouse is not employed. The cost is debt. They are not financially secure. The cost is food insecurity. They can't afford groceries. We have mental, mental health has been in our top three every single time because they are just so, families are feeling so, what's a good way to phrase this? They're feeling left behind. Like they feel like this thing that matters more to them than anything else, their child matters more to them than their job, than where they live, than their education this one thing is getting left so far behind and they feel like they're the only ones fighting for it. There's a huge mental health impact in, in what we do. And I, I really just don't want that to be forgotten as people advocate for childcare, that it is more than a nice to have, you know, it is, it is the infrastructure that allows the missions to continue. 
Absolutely. A lot of families, especially with the rising costs over the last few years, it's not reasonable to be a one-income family anymore. Even mm-hmm. if the spouse is only working part-time, most families need something extra coming in on top of what the service member is bringing home. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, and 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 there's a lot of, um, you know, this affects the civilian population as well. That's very true. It does. We are not the only ones struggling with this. Um, the civilian population also cannot access childcare. Uh, they also can't afford it. There is a key difference that does make military families, veteran families disproportionately affected. And that is one, we do not have a local support system, right? So we move to these areas, sometimes more secluded than other areas. And we don't have an aunt that lives down the road. We don't have our high school or college best friend who can step in for a few weeks while we wait on a space. Um, we don't have someone who could just come sit with our child for a few hours so we can t- go to a doctor's appointment. You know, all of those things are minor, but they add up over time. And that that impact is something that military families do, do miss out on. Absolutely. If you knew how many you know, early learning coalitions, how many groups I've joined and their response, immediate responses. Are you telling me you guys don't get free childcare? Ma'am, <laughs> ma'am, no, we do not. Not only do we not get free childcare, but I mean, we do get, if you are able to access, you know, on-base care that is discounted, but it is just so hard to get into. And, and that on-base care was never meant to fill the need of everyone. Right. It was never meant to to be the one solution that then allowed everybody to continue their work and their mission and their mental health and just overall wellness. So, no, it, it, there's such a disconnect between what the civilian population knows. And it's not their fault. This isn't their specialty, but what they know and then what our families actually experience. Absolutely. I've done a little research myself. You have a team. It's not just you. So yes. tell us exactly how your organization and your team came about. Yeah. So I love that you mentioned a team because I did do this solo for so long, probably seven or eight years. I did it by myself. Childcare was just not at the top of everybody's priorities there for a really long time. Um, it's not until these last, you know, three, four years where we officially moved from it being a problem to a crisis that families or that, that you know, leadership and, and those in, in the position of power to make these changes have started saying, oh, wait a minute, this has long lasting effects. So when I started this, it was just, you know, me, myself and I, Kayla, Kayla Corbett. Then when I was like, okay, I'm moving duty stations so frequently, it's really hard to keep that continuity, right, of, of momentum between locations. I need some kind of organization, some kind of company. So I started with Operation Child Care, which is my for-profit entity. That is because you cannot run a nonprofit as one person. So you can run a small LLC as one person. So I really started off my advocacy and really tied it in as, as tight as I could with that Operation Child Care. Um, I call it a terrible business model um, because it didn't actually, you know, it didn't make any money. Like, it's fine um, because that was never the intention, right? It was just I needed something that would carry me from state to state, base to base, um, that 
I know what I'm talking about and I only know what I'm talking about because families trust me and families tell me what their issues are. It was at this most recent duty station here in in Texas that I took all the people who'd been supporting me over the years, all these people who were passionate about this, who were experts in their respective fields, and they saw how it overlapped with childcare. And I said, would you help me? Resounding yes across the board. You know, everyone on my board has experienced an issue with childcare, whether that issue is short-term or long-term, you know, it, it's different for everybody, but they all recognize that childcare is at the core of most, if not all issues that families are facing right now. Um, and, that, and that is very much true for our military and our veteran families. Absolutely. Unfortunately, it is one of those things that no matter what's going on, the need is there, mm-hmm. whether they're school age or not. Your new team, are you guys just located in Texas or are you offering services nationwide or worldwide for military families? So it is nationwide. We are in Texas, right? Um, that is where we were formed, but we do offer services nationwide. Uh, we get most families from our large childcare desert areas. So our Hampton Roads, uh, the DC area, California, a lot has been coming in from Nevada. We will occasionally get people from overseas, so Station Oconus. We will still assist them. It's just, it looks a lot different, right? I know that you're stationed overseas, so you know. Um, the the subsidy programs are not based overseas, so it's, it's pretty much on base or on your own. Um, we do have relationships with people overseas. So there are situ- in certain situations, like we can help by making those connections, making those referrals. Um, and all resources that we give to families, we vet. And that is, I feel like, an important missing piece. At least it has been in my my military spouse journey where I ask for help and I am given, you know, a list or a PDF or an email or a link. And it's like, yeah, here are all the resources. Here are all of them. And I'm like, okay, great. So now I'm going to contact, you know, 15 to 30 to 50 resources And then I have to then vet them and figure out, is this something that can actually help me? Do they have a wait list? What does this look like? And that's discouraging. It's exhausting. And every time that has happened, I have never gone back to ask for help from that place again. So we never refer families to anything that we haven't personally spoken to, gotten the parameters around, completely understood, and determined that that's something that works for that family. Um, So we do have some resources for overseas. It's just very limited. uh, But that doesn't mean that I don't want people to reach out. Because when we start to see, in in our case management system, when we start to see a lot of people coming from a certain area. So for example, we have a lot coming from Nevada right now. So it's it's peaked my radar. What that tells me is that that location needs more assistance. And that's a location that I should start pouring some of my resources into. Absolutely. I love that you guys go through the process to vet anything that you're referring to families. Because a lot of people do become very discouraged when they get handed a long Mm -hmm. list. Because most of the things on those lists from personal experiences are, oh, that that organization is no longer working in that area. (laughs) Once you hear no a few times and that list is that long, it's, it's very hard to keep going. So knowing that the legwork of what you're being told has already been done and you can just zoom through that process has to be 
so easing on the mind for everyone that you guys work with. When, when I go to these local groups, when I go to these civilian, you know, roundtables, whatever they may be, and I'm there to represent the military voice and they go, well, why don't they just reach out? Well, why don't they just call, you know, 211 and then get referred in? And I say, well, what's your application process like? Oh, well, you know, we'll do an intake, takes about half an hour. We'll send, they'll have to submit paperwork. And I'm like, okay, but for what? Like, what is our end goal here? What is it? What is it that your program can offer? Because if families will do that, families will spend two hours doing something if they know they're going to access a resource at the end. But to have families do all of this, which allows, I know it allows that organization to collect the demographic information needed to get more grants and all of all of that. But military families don't have the privilege of time when trying to figure out resources like this because we don't have a local support network. So when we go for resources, it's not because, you know, we foresee something happening or we something is down the road. It is because it is now because it is now and we've exhausted everything else that we could possibly do. And so we need now assistance, not do an application for an hour. We'll contact you in the next six to eight months when the wait list is up assistance. And there is there is a place for that. Right, Caitlin, like there is a place for people who say, I want to start school next semester, not really sure what to do. And we refer to resources for that. So we say, great, let's get you an A, B, and C plan figured out for childcare so you can do that. And they might be part of that A, B, and C plan because it's not immediate, right? But knowing if a resource is immediate, knowing what its waitlist is like, what its application process is like, does it have an income restriction that BAH is counted into? They may or may not be able to access it. Like these are the questions that we ask so that we can get a better idea. Because like you it's if you are already exhausted and probably feeling some shame and some embarrassment and just very unsure, and then you go through an entire process just to find out at the end that they likely can't help you or it's going to be a bigger, a bigger lift than you're, you're capable of at that time. Like that is, that is, it could destroy you. Um, we want to make sure that the families always maintain trust in us, that they know that if we are referring them to something, it's because we have already tried it. And luckily, since my entire team is military affiliated, we get it. So we know what to ask. That is so amazing that you have a dedicated team who is spread out all over and being military, of course, they have also been a little bit of all over the place before where they <laughs> currently are. So you truly have experiences from around the globe going into this. Yeah, I'm, I'm incredibly proud of them. Um we have some amazing volunteers who come in as well. Sometimes people just are like, I have two hours a week for the next four weeks. And I say, great, I'll take it. Because like you said, they lived in these areas. They have experience. Others do not have. So when, when organizations try to step in that do not have someone who's been active, there is a learning curve, right? They have to learn not just the lingo. It's not just the acronyms. I get the <laughs> acronyms. It's not just an acronym situation. It is what is our culture? Um, what is that area like? Is it secluded? Is there nothing that they can access in terms of jobs? And as a result, don't need childcare? Is there a heavy remote work population? Like they know. And one of our taglines here is that families will tell you what they need. You just have to listen. So if you can take a moment and just listen to what the families are saying, the answers are there. You just have to put them together and then put them back out as, you know, a single, a single solution. So we rely heavily on our military community, but that's because they are 
our community. Absolutely. I love that your little motto is about listening because most families, when they do reach out for help, they're not sugarcoating anything. They are very straight (laughs) and to the point, like, this is what I need. This is the end goal. Like, I don't know how to get there which is why Mm -hmm. I'm here. In our case management system, it's not just military spouses. You know, um, we get a lot of single service members. We get a lot of dual military. And the amount of times that they come in to this case management system on 10, just ready, because they are so exhausted. They're so fed up and they're quite frankly, angry and justifiably so. Anger is still an emotion, right? It's still a response to something that feels like an injustice. And it can absolutely feel like an injustice if, you know, you have been working so hard to get something and it's been eight months and you're out of savings and you're not sure what to do next. And then someone else, you know, gets it done in three weeks. Like it can it can absolutely feel like an injustice. We have people coming in quite frequently, almost weekly at this point, saying, I'm going to contact my congressman. I'm going to contact my senators like I'm going to start. I'm going to run this up because they're tired. And so a lot of that initial is, yes, I think that you should do whatever you feel like you should do. I'm happy to support you in that. Let's also try to find a, a solution in, in, the, in the interim. So let's do both, right? Um, we work with the understanding that two things are needed, a long-term solution and immediate assistance, because you can't do one and not do the other, or we're not going to come to an end agreement. I do hope at some point, you know, I don't think it'll happen, but maybe <laughs> 10, 15, 20 years down the road, you know, my organization doesn't need to exist anymore. It's it's served its purpose. It has solved the issues. Things are different. I hope I hope it doesn't have a need anymore, but it it's just not feeling that way right now. Absolutely. And I think that we can all hope for that. And I believe we all do. Yes. <laughs> We all hope that the future generations don't suffer from the same problems that we currently are and progress will be made. Your organization is doing a amazing job making strides towards that. Kayla, thank you for sharing more about the Operation Child Care Project. This is such an important part. Military life and military families around the globe can relate to the struggles that have led to the creation of your organization. Listeners, to connect with Kayla Corbett and the Operation Child Care Project, you can find them online via Instagram at OCC underscore project, on Facebook at the Operation Child Care Project, or on their website, www.occproject.org. Stay tuned for more after this quick commercial break. Here at Mission Mill Spouse, military spouses are the priority. With nearly 3,000 blog posts and over 1,000 podcast episodes in our archives, we have the resources and support to empower your military spouse journey, no matter your stage, season, or duty station. To support our mission and other military spouses like you, follow us across all social media platforms at Mission Mill Spouse, subscribe to our newsletter, The Sit Rep, or consider making a tax-deductible donation. We are also all volunteer-powered, So you're invited to join our band of bloggers or our command team. Email hello at missionmillspouse.org for more information. Remember, we've been there. You aren't alone. We've got your six. Welcome back, listeners. Let's jump right back into this conversation. Kayla, the Operation Child Care Project currently has a survey open. Can you tell our listeners a little bit about the purpose of that survey and what the results of the survey are being used for? 
Yeah, thank you for asking. So the survey, oh, the survey. Some people have said, you know, why is a childcare organization doing a survey on mental health? Well, it is because they are not mutually exclusive. Childcare impacts mental health. We see it time and again. I know when I was overseas in Italy, um, I did have my first child right before we left Italy. The end result of being completely isolated in a country where I had zero support systems, you know, we were living out on the economy. Mental health care was not something that I had ready access to. You know, there were very limited resources on base, even if you were off base. When I was able to finally get in to see someone about, you know, the postpartum depression, about the postpartum anxiety, these things that I just knew weren't right. I, you know, sleeping one to two hours a night, um, primary caregiver all day, every day, just never ending exhaustion. I had to take my child with me to those appointments because there wasn't any care available. And I, I will never forget walking into that first appointment and them saying, oh, were there no spots at the CDC. And I'm just like, um, no, but also I, I am literally dying right now. So I feel like this is like the least of the issues. Right. Um, but it wasn't because what was happening, at least for me and everyone's situation is different, of course, is that the weight I felt was so insurmountable that I did need a break. I did need one hour out of a week to to do this and i you know i've told the story before and there's been a lot of well, why didn't your spouse help of course he helped uh, of course he did but you know mission mission comes first it's a high up tempo location people were gone for three six nine months at a time and and i'm not unique in this situation families that i speak to families that i've talked to over the last decade who've shared their stories with me they reiterate almost the exact same situation over and over again so there is a direct link between childcare access and support and mental health. It may not be as far as, you know, postpartum depression, postpartum anxiety, but there is a link. You can't take care of yourself if you're taking care of someone else. You can't do both at the exact same moment. There's there's just no way to do both at the exact same moment. Um, so what I'm trying to do here with this survey, the questions, the kind of questions I ask are things like, um, I get some demographic information. Are you employed? Have you PCS? Things like that. But then I ask, you know, have you attempted to find childcare for your child, depending on what age they put in? Um, if they have two children, I want to know if you were not able to access childcare for your older child, did you feel like you wouldn't be able to access child for your younger child? Did that impact? Did you, the amount of support you received for your first child impact how you feel about this, about care for the second child? Is it changing your plans? You know, what is this creating for you? And of course, we do ask about, you know, screenings. Were you screened um, for postpartum anxiety or depression in the hospital? If you were, were you offered resources? If you were offered resources, were there barriers that prevented you from accessing those? Was it money? Was it time? Was it childcare? Like what, what kept you from being able to access it? The end goal of this is to really drive home that there is a connection between childcare and other aspects of quality of life. So we've seen MFAN did a study, they linked childcare, food insecurity. It, it's together. Now I want to do childcare and military spouse mental health. I want to see what does this look like? There have been studies that have been done on active duty service members. Um, there have been studies that are done on civilian populations, but this military spouse population has been kind of left out of the equation. Ultimately, we are saying that childcare is not a nice to have. 
It is infrastructure. It affects everything. And that's what the study is going to be going towards is let's look at the link. Once we have the numbers, now we can start doing something about it. Now we can start looking at our mental health programs and our mental health services and say, is this accessible to military spouses? How can we make it more accessible to them? What do we need to change? And then it also, of course, helps us in our mission to get them affordable quality childcare, whether that's hourly, part-time, full-time. If we can see where there's a gap, right? Where organizations are missing the mark, where we're not quite covering, then we can allocate resources accordingly. Oh, absolutely. I love that the focus of the survey is on mental health because the primary caretaker for a child sacrifices so much Mm -hmm. mentally, physically, every bit of their life to take care of that child. And although, of course, it is a parent's responsibility, that doesn't make it easy. No, no, it doesn't. By any means, especially (laughs) if... The service member is out in the field or TDY or deploying. There, there's so many factors, like you've said, that can go into what makes a military family's childcare and mental health struggles different from those on the civilian side. Because we unfortunately face things that civilians don't a lot of times. Right. One and the expectation of support is different for military families. Even if your spouse is not TDY, even if they're not deployed, you know that at any point in time, you know, they're leaving at 4 a.m. and they're supposed to be back at 4, 5, 6 p.m. But you know that there's a chance they won't be and there is nothing you can do about that. And when you are struggling day to day to day as the primary caretaker to do what is necessary for your child, And then also try to take care of yourself because that's also necessary for your child, right? Your child needs a healthy parent. And then you don't have the expectation of support. You could start to push away what you do have, right? You could start to say, I can't rely on that. And then that's where your anxiety starts to build. I can't rely on my spouse being home on time. I can't rely on that time. I can't rely on whatever because, you know, it's not consistent or I don't understand it. It's not transparent. We want to see that. We want to see, sorry, we don't want to see that. We want to look at what is the link when there isn't this expected support, when there isn't something that you're like, I can rely on this 100%. I know that this is available to me. I know I can access it. So worst case scenario, I can have this. When that doesn't exist because it doesn't for so many military families, what are the implications? You know, With this, I know your organization is open to, you said DOD civilians as well as mm-hmm. military families. Is the survey open to DOD families and reserve and guard and all of all of the components so the uh so the survey is not open to dod civilians just because it is military spouse oriented um it is open to active retired reserves uh veterans uh dual military because they are still military spouses we know that women are more likely to be the person in a dual mill marriage to leave the service as a result of you know having to take care of the children so we want to get their feedback as well it is open to all of those above um and we are really looking for people who've had a child in the last five years if you have not had a child in the last five years but you're like my story my story would impact this. You can still take it. Um, there'll just be a section where it asks, you know, if you have a child under five, and if you select no, you just have the ability to enter in your story. 
So I am collecting those because while the data, the data matters, right? You, you need statistics. You need, you need proof of the issue. I have found that when I do advocate, when I do talk about this, that it's the stories that make the difference. It's the, I apply for, you know, fee assistance. It's been two and a half years. We are so in debt that we are taking out payday loans to make ends meet. Like, like those are the stories that drive what we do. That's what gets people to listen to the statistics. So I still want the stories. Um, and honestly, it could be quite cathartic to be able to talk to someone who understands, who, you know, will read your story and be like, I'm sorry. You know, I'm sorry. And I, I say that to so many in our case management system. I'm so sorry that this happened to you. It's not unique. This is a story that I hear time and time and time, sometimes four times a day, but that doesn't make it less hurtful. It doesn't make it less exhausting. It doesn't make it less impactful. And that's something that I love about our our community is that we do have, what is it? Is it it's not quite a trauma bond, right? Like, but it's not quite uh, in the trauma bond category. Maybe it is. I don't know. I'm not an expert in trauma bonds. We all have a similarly shared experience. The details will shift but we all get it. And it's just so nice because there is so much um, what I like to call resource gaslighting where, you know, we're told that this one thing exists, that like, this is what you have and this is here to support you. But then in our experience, we don't get to access that. So then when you go, Hey, I'm struggling. And someone goes, Oh, but did you do this thing? This thing that I told you, this thing that exists. And you're like, yeah, I did. I didn't get it. And they go, Oh, well, I got it. That's tough. That is that is really tough. And I think that's where the stories matter. Because if I have enough stories of people saying, yeah, I never got that, or it didn't happen for me, I wasn't even told about it, um, I was told incorrectly about it, those stories help us shape what we do. So even if you do not have a child under five, if you are a military spouse, you were a military spouse, again, reserve, retired, whatever it might be, I want to hear from you regardless. Absolutely. All of those in the military community at one point or another, have faced these struggles. One voice matters because Absolutely. when you start to add up each individual person's voice, it turns into a whole community very, very quickly. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. I get two to three stories a day. And, you know, some people have said, is that enough? No, no, it's not. Because it gives me a timeline as well, right? If I have a lot of stories, they go, oh, well, that was before, right? That was before this program. That was before this resource. If I'm able to go, actually, you know, I got 10 this week just from within the last 90 days. So it's, it's clearly not an issue of the past. It's clearly an ongoing issue. Our hope is that when we repeat this survey next year, that we're able to add in uh, options for families to select that have hopefully been created as a result of this. And we can see how is this affecting our results? Like, are we seeing an improvement? Are we seeing more people accessing these resources? And if not, we want to know why. We believe all solutions come from the ground up. For decades, solutions for military families have been made from the top down. They're made from people who haven't been in their situations in years, who may not be on this ground floor, who may only be taking you know feedback from leadership. We want the people who cannot access the care to talk to us. We want the people whose care doesn't work for them to talk to us. We want the people who had care and can't get care anymore to talk to us. Because when we look at our 
results, right, are articles. What they're doing is interviewing people who were able to access the CDC, who were able to get the care that they needed. And they're in it. And they're, of course, they're going to be like, yeah, of course, I'm thrilled. Why wouldn't you be thrilled? It's cost effective. And it's amazing. Like, of course, you're thrilled. I want to know who didn't get it, who gave up and who isn't trying anymore. So send them all my way. I want everyone to come my way. Don't worry about me. I can read fast. Put your stories in. I'm very skilled at this. Um, Come to me. Tell me your story and let me turn that story into new programming, into change, into results that we're all going to be able to see long and short term. Absolutely. And can you tell our listeners all the different platforms that they can access your survey through? Absolutely. So we have, it's going out on our social media. Um, now that we're getting down into the final days, because it is it is up through the end of February. Now that we're getting down into the final days, we are posting it almost daily on all of our social media. Um, it is on our landing page. So when you go to the OCCproject.org and the screen loads, it is the first button that is there for you. It is front and center. Um, we want everyone to have it. And like I said, we're dropping it in all of our social media. Uh, it is completely anonymous. We do not ask for your email, your name, um, anything like that. All Everything is anonymous. We want you to feel safe in telling us what you feel like needs to be heard. That's something that our community really struggles with um, because we fear things like reprisals and we fear that you know our service member's career might be impacted. We fear that maybe will be punished or, you know, pushed out or, you know, shamed in some way. Um, I fear none of that. So bring it to me and let me be the person that gets to say it. Like I have no issue being the person that takes your story, strip all the demographic information and say, this is the issue that's happening here. So let's, let's figure out how we're going to get through it. And that's exactly how change is made. Mm-hmm. You don't have to put your personal identity out there to get your situation seen by people who have the ability to make change. Absolutely. Absolutely. I've had, um, I mean, I've had entire commands, you know, reach out and say, everyone is struggling with this in my command, but like they can't do anything else because of where they are in the situation. And I am so grateful when they do that because when it tells me that they care about their service members that they know that this is an issue and they don't want to do nothing. They don't want to wait until they PCS. They don't want to pass this off onto someone else. Like they want to create an impact. That's the military that I want to support. That is, that is where I want to shine light and say, I will help you. We can be as secretive as we need to in this, in this journey. Uh, we can do one at a time. Like nobody needs to know. Let's get you help. It doesn't need to be public every time. Absolutely. There's definitely a time and a place for a story to be public, but a lot of people mm-hmm. aren't comfortable with that. And you guys are doing a great job of spreading the disparities and in information while allowing families to keep their privacy. Thank you. Yes. So as we wrap up our conversation here, we do have one last question that we ask all of our guests. And that is, what is one thing that you admire most about military spouses? I'm sure that you understand this one, Caitlin. And I'm going to try really hard not to tear up when I say this. It gets me every single time because of what I do, because of the stories that I take in. The absolute relentlessness that military spouses show just it, it's frequently poised as resilient, right? Resilient is a, is a word I have a 10,000% issue with. Um, it has been, I feel like weaponized in a way over the years where, you know, we're going through these issues, we're having problems, we're not getting support. And then we're given, you're so resilient. Look at you. Um, it's like it that pat that, on the back that you didn't right? ask for. <laughs> right. Um, 
Uh, we even did like a, a little campaign at a thing uh, at military influencer conferences last year with the honey badger. And it said, don't call me resilient um, because military spouses are just so relentless. I do not know. I have never met in, in any of the other kind of social work oriented stuff that I do. I have never met a demographic will not just take the hit, but fight back and then somehow keep their entire family on the tracks, keep all the buses, all the wheels on the bus while fighting something. And it is it is so many military spouses. There are so many. And it's not just the ones you see. Like my name comes up in the news a lot because I'm the only one who's like fighting this, you know, childcare aspect. But the people who don't come up in the news a lot, those military spouses who are just like, oh, but all I did was this. You have no idea how impactful that is for you to do even just a little something, just a little, I submitted a nice comment. I did whatever, even if they never get back to you, even if it's never, you guys are so relentless in this that they don't have a choice but to listen to you. And then when they do not abide by that, that's when we step in, right? But you are so relentless. You do not give up. You are there every single day. You are digging so deep for you, for your family, for your children, for your spouse, for everything. You are so relentless. And I really, I want more spouses to start using that. I, I, I want them to start saying, you know, let's work on building, building our relentlessness. Uh, what can we do to be more relentless today? Because you are doing the work. It's not something that's happening to you. And I admire that so, so much. I 100% agree with that. And I love that your passion for a term that has kind of become overused in the community and we all, we hear it and we kind of like brush it off and don't even pay attention. Most of us at this point, it's ripping off the bandaid almost and putting the power that resilience once was into mm -hmm. something new, something that we can all relate to. And I think as military spouses and military families, we are all bonded through common experiences. And yeah. at the end of the day, we're all just each other's cheerleaders. And we know even if it's not a problem for us anymore, it's going to be a problem for another family down the line. So what we do does make a difference. Absolutely. Uh, I love the word power that you use there because it is a power issue. It is taking from resilient to something that happens to you. You don't have the power and control in that situation to being relentless. You're in full control. Like you, things are happening to you. Sure. But you are in control of what you do next. And, and there's a lot of power in that. Absolutely. Kayla, thank you so much again for joining us on the Mission Mill Spouse podcast. Thank you for having me. This was really fun. Absolutely. We wish both you and your organization all the best as you continue to empower military spouses and service members around the globe. Thank you for tuning in to the Mission Mill Spouse podcast. We hope you found inspiration and connection through the stories shared. Remember, your resilience as a military spouse is commendable and you're not alone in this journey. We've got your six every step of the way. Be sure to subscribe for future episodes and feel free to reach out on social media to continue the conversation. Until next time, stay strong, stay connected, and keep supporting one another. This is Mission Mill Spouse signing off.